Hey, good morning, everybody. So wonderful to be with you here today. I have a question for uh, those of you who are married or have been married, um, and it's, it's this, this question. So it is, um, have you ever woken up angry at your spouse for something they did in your dream? Okay. I, yeah, so there's yeah, some recognition there. Uh, dreams are a funny thing, aren't they? It's, we, we have this period of time where our, our brain tells us stories every night, right? It's apparently two hours a night. Uh, we average about two hours a night of REM sleep where this rapid eye movement sleep time is in that phase of our sleep cycle. We have dreams. And a lot of people experience very similar things during those dream times. Some, some of you have the dream where you're falling, you know, you're, you're, and I remember the urban legend that if you ever hit the ground in your dream that you die, you know, I don't know how they would know that, you know, how's that going to be reported? Uh, they must have hit the ground when they, you know, in their dream. I don't know. Um, or, or a dream where you're flying. I've had that dream before. You're kind of flying over a landscape or something like that. Although in my dream, in order to fly, I've got to get a good running start, you know, and then it's just a short period of flight. Um, and, then, and then you land. Any of you ever had a flying dream? You feel like you're flying before? Okay. Now, um, where was I going with this? Uh, this is about our story today. So dreams play a uh, significant role in our story we're going to be at in, in, in Genesis chapter 40 today. We're going through the study in the life of Joseph um, in the book of Genesis. It's called God Meant It for Good. One of the things that my dreams tell me sometimes, one of the things I notice about my dreams is if something impacted me in an emotional way and maybe I wasn't aware of it in the moment, but then I dream about it later, that's one of your, your body's way of processing strong emotional experiences is it shows up in your dreams. It's kind of your, your body's kind of working through those emotions and those feelings. And so sometimes I'll have a dream and I'll, I'll dream about something and I'll realize, oh, that mattered to me more than I thought it did in that moment. Just kind of happened and wasn't thinking about it, but then it showed up in my dream later, and that's my body's way of saying this had a bigger impact than maybe you realized it had. When the Bible talks about dreams, there's some really interesting things about it. A lot of times um, in the Bible, there are dreams that are spiritually significant. They tell some future event, or they give some kind of insight that the person would not have had without those dreams. And I've asked this question a number of times in different groups, and I'm not going to ask you to respond, but it's a question I want you to think about. And the question is this, have you ever had a dream that seemed spiritually significant to you? And again, you don't need to answer, but my answer would be yes. And not a lot of times, but I've had a handful of experiences in my life where something happened in a dream or, or uh, it was communication in some ways by God, God helping me process something that was painful or helping me understand some kind of deep truth about him um, in, in my dream, this, this God revealing different things about himself in, in dreams. And now this, this can happen. This is a category of communication in the scripture where God will reveal things or give insights in dreams. And we see this in our story today in the book of Genesis. We're, we're going through the life of Joseph, as I mentioned. The book of Genesis is interesting because you've got all this beginning history of the world. This is how the world was created. The world and the universe and everything is created. And then you've got the story of a family, right? Abraham's family, who will be blessed to be a blessing. And then Abraham gets a few chapters in the Bible. Then you go on to Isaac, who gets a few chapters in the Bible. Then you go on to Jacob, who gets a few chapters. And then, and then it slows way down and tells this story 
over something like 14 chapters in the Bible, the story of Joseph and his brothers and how the children of Israel ended up in Egypt. And that's the story we've been looking at for the last few weeks. We're on week three of our study through this story. We're going to be in Genesis 40, which I think I mentioned, but if you're not there yet, go ahead and prepare for that, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well. This tells a period, the, the last few chapters we've been in, including today, tells the story of the life of Joseph from, from the age of 17 until 30. When we finish um, our reading today, he'll be 30 years old and prepared for this phrase, this statement, God meant it for good. We've been studying through the life of Joseph. Joseph's had all of these, it's like a country song, right? All this bad news after bad news, you know, um, the, the old kind of country songs. I don't know about the new kind, but we're all this, you know, they lost your truck and your dog got run over and all this kind of, you know, bad news and bad news. Um, and Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers, which is horrible to think about how broken the family situation could be that that could happen. And then if that's not bad enough, he's falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit, and he's thrown into prison. But we're told that even there, God was with him, and God is is working things out. God's placing him in a position of authority everywhere he goes. He's in Potiphar's house. He ends up running Potiphar's house. He gets thrown in prison. That sounds very bad, but he ends up running the prison. He's in charge of the prisoners and all of this. There's a phrase that we're going to come back to a number of times, and I want to put that on the screen if we have that ready. It's this phrase, God is good, God has a plan. And I want you to actually say this out loud with me. God is good and God has a plan. In a moment, okay, we'll get you, get you ready for it. And, and I want you to say this for a number of reasons. This is an important phrase for us to remember in our story today, but it's an even more important phrase for you to remember in your life. God is good. God has a plan. So I want you to read that with me, and we'll say this a number of times this morning. So let's, let's do it now. God is good. God has a plan. God is good. God has a plan. And I wanted you to hear yourself say that too. And you'll get more opportunities as we go this morning uh, to say that. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 40. When we left off, Joseph had been thrown in prison, but Scripture tells us the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So chapter 40, starting in verse 1. Some time after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. 
The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. All sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged to the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. All right, let's talk about this passage here. So first we see Joseph's in prison. The captain of the guard, by the way, is put, put these two people in custody with Joseph. We remember who the captain of the guard is, right? That's Potiphar from the story last week. It says, Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, we might think of these roles and go, like, that's not very important. But if you think about what the cupbearer's job was, to, to taste the things that, would, that Pharaoh would eventually drink, to make sure they were not poisoned. And a chief cupbearer would have had... A, a high responsibility, would have been a trusted right-hand person of the Pharaoh. And for some reason, he's offended the Pharaoh. You got the chief baker, the same thing. He's in charge of all the food preparation. If there's going to be a plot against Pharaoh's life, it would likely come through something that he ate. And so they're there to protect the supply chain that ends up um, in Pharaoh's cup or on Pharaoh's plate. They've angered Pharaoh. We're not told exactly what happened, but they both end up in prison. Maybe there was a plot. Maybe they were somehow involved in it. We don't know why they ended up where they, were, where they ended up, but they were there. And then something interesting happens. They both have dreams on the same night. And Joseph sees them the next morning, and he notices that they are downcast. Now, this is interesting to me because they're in prison, right? They're going to have a standard level of downcast, I would think, right? But he, he notices they're extra troubled, Right? Not just the regular prison sadness, but there's something else going on. And this to me is an interesting point to make here, that Joseph notices the people around him and the trouble that they're experiencing and the pain that they're going through, even in his own turmoil. And Joseph has been mistreated. Joseph has had so many things that were unfair that happened to him. He's in prison. He does not deserve to be in prison. But before, if, we, if you remember back a couple of weeks ago when we started Joseph's story, Joseph, remember there was something about dreams with Joseph. Joseph had, a, had these dreams and told his brothers about the dreams. And his brothers, were they hated him because of these dreams. And Joseph did not appear to notice the impact that, that those dreams and his statements about the dreams had on his brothers. He didn't seem to notice, didn't seem to care. Now, years later, He's noticing the people around him. And I think this is something that we need to pause on for just a moment longer. 
Because I think so often our ministry, the things that we do for God to help the people around us, starts with noticing. Right? It starts with taking a look at who is around you and being aware that God might use you to make an impact on the people that are around you. If Joseph did not notice the cupbearer and the baker and have this conversation with them, his story plays out entirely differently. But they had these dreams, and he notices, and he, he speaks with them. And they're, they're downcast, they're troubled, because they're like, we have these dreams, and there's no one to interpret the dreams. Which gives us a little hint about how the way that ancient society, and Egypt in particular, um, looked at dream interpretation. This was like a whole career field that some people would have. There'd be the, the dream interpreters, people that would help make sense of people's dreams. And they'd say, if you dream, dreamt about this, it means this. And they would help interpret people's dreams during this time. And Joseph said, interpretations belong to God. Why don't you just tell me what you dreamed about? And they share the dreams. And the cupbearer's dream, there's the three you know, branches and there's, there's vines. And I had Pharaoh's cup and I, I made some juice from the, these vines and gave it to the Pharaoh and he drank out of it. He's like, well, that dream means something specific. And if, by the way, if you were making up an interpretation, you might want to put the time frame not so close, you know, to where you're found out to be, uh, to not know what you're talking about. But he says in three days, those branches are three days, this is going to happen to you. You're going to be restored to your previous role of authority and power. And then Joseph re recognizes that he has an opportunity here. He says, I, you're going to be right by Pharaoh. I believe that this is what's going to happen. This is what God has revealed. You're going to be right next to Pharaoh. When you're restored to that position, would you please remember me? I, I've been placed here. I'm falsely imprisoned. I was taken away from my homeland. Please, when you're, when you're restored in three days to Pharaoh, can you please tell him about my situation? Please. And then the baker uh, hears that the dream interpretation went really well for the cupbearer. And so he's like, uh, please tell me about my dream as well. And if I was Joseph, I might be inclined to say, I'll tell you in three days. You know, just ask me in a couple days and I'll tell you what your dream means. Because uh, he has to be the bearer of bad news. And he gives the baker's dream interpretation. In three days, your head will also be lifted up, but it's going to be lifted up off of your body. Sorry, baker. Um, and it's a, it's a brutal dream that the bakers had, but perhaps the baker was involved in some kind of plot against Pharaoh's life. We don't know exactly, but he ends up being executed. The cupbearer ends up being restored to his place. And then I imagine Joseph waiting, right? He's there. He's ready. He's like, I told the cupbearer he's going to be there. He sees them leave the prison, right? He's in charge of that. The baker's going off to his execution. The cupbearer is going off to be restored in his place. And then he's waiting. It's three days have passed. And then maybe a week, maybe, maybe a month at this point. Scripture tells us two full years pass. This is the very beginning of the next chapter. In Genesis 41, it says, after two whole years. So two years he's waiting, two whole years. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. Joseph is forgotten by the cupbearer. I want to ask you a question this morning, which is this. Have, have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt, you know, I think about even as a, as a child, maybe some of you f felt like you were forgotten about. 
or overlooked in some way. Maybe you felt forgotten in your workplace. You're over there plugging away and working hard and you've, you felt like they've just everyone's forgotten about you. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? You know, we, we find ourselves going through difficult situations sometimes and we just are waiting. We're in this waiting time period. And I, I want to tell you that in the same way that God had not forgotten Joseph, the cupbearer forgot him, but God had not forgotten Joseph. He was with him. He was still working through a situation. That was true of Joseph, and it's true of you. God has not forgotten you. God sees you. God knows what you're going through. God knows your situation. There's this principle we see over and over again in Scripture that's this phrase, waiting on the Lord. We're waiting on the Lord. And those times are never wasted, by the way. Those are times when we're growing. Those are times when God is is putting our roots down for us as we wait. And I want to share a couple of really encouraging scriptures about waiting on the Lord. This is Psalm 27, verses 13 to 14. It says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. These are words written by King David who knew what it was like to wait. He had this promise made about him that he would be king of Israel someday and many, many years passed and a lot of bad things happened in between the time he received that promise and the time it was fulfilled. He was on the run from King Saul for a long time. Life in danger and all of this stuff. But he says this, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31 Tell us more about this idea of waiting on the Lord. It says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, we had a phrase that we said together a little while ago, and I want us to say it together again. So to remind you, it's God is good and God has a plan. Are you ready? God is good. God has a plan. That was true of Joseph. That's true for, our, for those who follow Jesus now. God is good. God has a plan. Whatever you might be going through, that those two statements are true. God is good. God has a plan. God will even use the waiting periods that we experience. When we feel like we're forgotten, you are not forgotten. Joseph is not forgotten either. Genesis chapter 41 starts off by telling us that after two years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And we'll hear this description of the dream in a few moments. But he has these dreams that trouble him. And he calls all the people that are in charge of interpreting dreams. And they come to him and they cannot explain what the dream means. And then it's this moment the cupbearer remembers like, oh no, I forgot. I forgot to tell you about this guy who can interpret dreams who totally changed my life. Um, Let me tell you about him. So that's where our story picks up. Genesis chapter 41, verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. I just picture the palm on the head, you know. Oh, no. 
When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very, very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and let him o- set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all of the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine." This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt." Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he said to him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh of king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. There's a lot of reading. 
the cupbearer remembers his mistake. I've forgotten some things, by the way, over my years. You know, it's like my wife asked me to pick up something, and I've um, forgotten to do that sometimes. But the cupbearer forgot a whole person, right? He's the whole person who made this big impact on his life, who told him what his, what his future held, and it happened exactly as he said. And Joseph is waiting for two full years, but then in a moment, you imagine? Joseph's there. It's just another day like many of the other days before them. We don't know exactly how long. We, he was in there for at least two years, but we don't know how long it took him to reach this level where he was running the prison. We know that this whole period of time in his life from the age of 17 to 30, that's 13 years, right? I'm doing my, yeah, that's 13 years. This is an extended period of time in his life where he's likely praying the same thing over and over again. God, get me out of this situation. And then in an instant, breakthrough happens. The doors of the prison are opened. Joseph comes out and shaves and cleans himself up because he's going to stand in front of the most powerful person uh, in Egypt. And he's there in this, in this moment in front of the Pharaoh and Pharaoh goes, I've heard you can interpret dreams. I've heard about you. Now, here's a little moment of decision for Joseph. This is a tricky situation. He's standing in front of the most powerful person in the world. He could say, yes, I can. I am the most powerful dream interpreter, right? But he doesn't do that. He says, God, God does that. God gets the credit. And then he begins to describe the dream, and it's something nightmarish, right? There's these Nice cows. He calls them attractive for some reason, which is never a word I would use to describe a cow. But Pharaoh says there's these nice-looking cows that come up out of the Nile. And then there's these distorted, like, gross cows that come up. And they just eat the nice, attractive cows. And they, they consume them. And they, you can't even tell that they ate these giant cows. They're just as poor and very ugly and thin, such as I'd never seen in all the land of Egypt after that calls them ugly cows. Um, and then the same thing with this crop. There's some kind of grain or something that these healthy ears of grain and then these other ones that come and just consume those. Joseph begins to tell him like, that God, God's the one that gives interpretations and this is what God is saying to you. That this is coming. Seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. Here's what you need to do. Store up one-fifth of all the crops in those good years so that you have plenty left over during those years of famine. The other thing that's tricky about Joseph here is that his, his God in some way is on trial. You know, Egypt had all of these gods that represented all these different parts of prosperity of the culture of Egypt. You know, God of grain, a God of the cattle, a God of the sun, a God of the Nile. And later we'll see in the Exodus story how those gods are specifically targeted by the plagues that, that God sends as a part of delivering the people out of Israel. But he's standing there and he, he just declares the supremacy of his God over all these gods of Egypt. Even though he's, it could be a risky situation to be doing that. But in a, in a moment here, everything changes for Joseph. He's put in this linen garments. He's given the authority. He's given the ring. He's given the chariot. And all of a sudden, he is powerful. He went from a prisoner to a prince in just a moment. And, and I imagine that people looking around in Egypt at that time, like, wow, this guy came out of nowhere. He's an overnight success, right? But we know because we know the backstory that that's, 
He was not an overnight success. God was bringing him along. He was preparing him. Everywhere that Joseph was, he showed himself faithful, and God was with him in those moments. Faithfulness over a little, and then he had faithfulness over much, which is the scriptural principle for us. Right? That God is good and God has a plan. Will we just say that together again? God is good. God has a plan. That was true for Joseph. This plan was coming together in this brilliant way. We get a little insight into the way Joseph was processing these things that were happening to him by a little snapshot from the story. We're told that he was given a wife. You know, after years of loneliness and all of this, he ends up married to someone who was the daughter of a very powerful person in Egypt. And then God gives him children. Genesis 41, verses 50 to 52, tells us about his kids, these two sons. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He gives his sons names that are meaningful. Um, one of them, Manasseh, means forgetting. And he's saying that uh, the way he describes it is, I've forgotten the trouble that I have gone through, right? God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And so he gives his son the name forgetting. Now, hopefully, I hope he had an ironically good memory, right? If a name, with a name like that, his name's uh, forgetting, but he's saying, you know, I am forgetting the pain I went through because of the blessing that God is giving me in this season of my life. And then he calls the second one Ephraim because he says, which means fruitful. He says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So this gives us a little insight into what's going on in Joseph's heart. He gives his sons these names that are meaningful to him and that will help him remember the faithfulness of God. That I went through this difficult time, but God is blessing me in such a way and I've seen his faithfulness that I'm beginning to forget how painful those experiences were, and that God has blessed me and made me fruitful, which is actually what Joseph's name means. It means God will add, and God is producing all of these good things from his life. As we begin to um, finish up this series, next week we're going to conclude this series. At this point, the table is set, so to speak, for the work of reconciliation that God is going to do between Joseph and his brothers, where this phrase comes in. God meant it for good. What you did, you meant for evil, but God meant for good. The famine has begun already. We're already through these years of plenty. Joseph's 37 plus years old, 38 maybe at this point. We don't know how, how far into the time of famine at the end of the, the chapter that we've just read, but the famine has begun and all of the land of Egypt is in need but they're prepared. God has prepared them for that. And Joseph's in this time where he knows God put me in this place so that he could reveal what was going to happen in the future for me so that I could prepare, so I could be exactly where God wanted me to be. Because God is good and God has a plan, right? And God has prepared him for this moment. God has placed him where he needs to be. And now next week, we're going to find his brother's coming to, to him in this moment of reconciliation and forgiveness that happens, and that'll be the topic for next week's message. But let's think about this moment for a little bit. 
Joseph is now getting to see why all this happened. He's reminded of the fact that God has a plan. God put him in this place for this purpose. There's a pastor named Andrew Murray who lived a long time ago, and he he talked about, he says, three things to remember when we're, we're in any adversity. He says, first, God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this place, so I'm going to rest. And number two, he will keep me in his love and give me grace in the trial. And finally, he will ultimately make the trial a blessing, teaching me what I need to learn. I think Joseph would say the same thing to us this morning if he was here with us sharing his story and his testimony. And, you know, we're doing the next best thing, of course, by reading from the scripture, his testimony recorded for us, that God can bring good out of bad, that what was meant for evil, God meant it for good. God is good. God has a plan. Corey Ten Boom was a... um, during World War II was a young girl during um, the time when the Nazis were rounding up the Jewish people and bringing them out to camps. And her and her family had a place in their home that was called the hiding place where they would protect Jewish people that were in hiding. They eventually were arrested and she was sent off to a concentration camp and many of her family members passed away during that concentration camp. But when she, she later survived, of course, and, and as, an, as an older woman, she died in the 1980s, but she spent the final years of her life telling her story, writing books, and going around and speaking. And one of the things that she would often do at these gatherings is she would show a picture of a tapestry. And I want to, if we have that ready, hopefully that made it in the notes. There it is. So this is the actual tapestry that she would hold up, or a weaving and the, by the way, the garments and, and cloaks and different things like that play a really important role in our story, right? The coat of many colors, the garment that Joseph has put on him after he becomes the prince over, over Egypt. Um, the, the garments and tapestries and weavings are an important part of the Joseph story. And Corey Tin Boom would talk about the, the, the way we see our lives is typically like the picture on the left. We see just a knot of strings and all this messy stuff. She says, God sees the other side. And this is a picture, this is in a museum at her, uh, her childhood home that's now been preserved, the home where they would hide the Jewish people um, from being arrested by the Nazis. And this is on display there. But she would hold this little weaving up and she'd read this poem. She says, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaves steadily. Oftentimes he weaves sorrow. And I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. This weaving and, you know, the way it looks on one side, this is what we see, right? I I said a couple weeks ago, there was a theologian named Soren Kierkegaard who said, life is understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. And all of us, we live our lives on kind of the underside of the tapestry, but we have to trust the God who sees the top of it. When I was thinking about this series, I thought about the story of Job as well. Um, Joseph 
And Job's stories are similar as far as the, the, the kind of pain they experienced and the things that they went through and the loss. Right? In, in the book of Job, if you read through that whole book, Job experiences devastating loss in the beginning of the, of the story. And then he's gathered around, you know, these friends gather around him. And they begin to speak with him and dialogue with him. After just sitting with him for a few days, they begin to talk about what he's gone through and maybe the reasons why he went through what he went through, the loss of his family, the loss of his wealth. And they give him some pretty not great answers, if we're being honest, right? Most of them are kind of like, you must have done something to deserve this, Job. Because that's what people tend to think sometimes, that this whole karma idea, right? That's, the word karma gets thrown around a lot in our culture. You're going through all these painful situations, and Job, it must be because God has God is angry with you, you must have upset him in some way. And Job is constantly defending himself. And then eventually the conversation shifts towards the end of the book where he's talking to God. And he's saying, God, I, I just cry out to you. I have done nothing deserving all of these things. And then eventually God answers him. And God answers him in, in the way of not giving him answers to the specific questions Job's been asking about why does this happen, but God's answer is to ask Job a bunch of questions. Job, do you know how, how the universe is molded together and how I cast whole constellations out into the galaxies? Like, you, do you know how this works, Job? Job, I've got questions for you. And then Job eventually, at the end of the book of Job, just says, I repent in dust and ashes. I've been asking questions and I just can't even fathom the God of whom I'm asking these questions. But in that moment, God's presence with him makes the questions fade away. That what he needed was not answers to all of those questions. What he needed was God's presence. And that's what he had. And that's what Joseph had through his story. We're told over and over again, God is with him. The Lord was with him. God is good and God has a plan. Can we say that together one more time? God is good. God has a plan. Sometimes we feel like we need answers when what we really need is just the presence of God that makes those questions fade away. We're celebrating in this season here, God with us. I'm proud to report that we got our Christmas decorations up at home, but not here at the church yet. But we celebrate God with us. And Jesus shows us what it means to have God with us in the most full way, that he came down to this earth, he lived his life with us, gave his life as a sacrifice for us so that we could have life with him. And there's so many interesting parallels that many commentators have pointed out between the lives of Jesus and Joseph. And I want to mention just a few of them before we close this morning. Jesus is the object of his father's special love, just like Joseph was. Jesus was mocked by his family, as was Joseph. Jesus and Joseph were both sold for pieces of silver. They were both stripped of their robes. They were both delivered up to the Gentiles. They were both falsely accused. They were both faithful amid temptation. They were both thrown into prison. They both stood before rulers. They both would save their rebellious brothers from death when they realize who he is. They would be exalted after and through humiliation. They both embraced God's purpose, even though it brought them intense physical harm. 
They are both the instrument that God uses at the hands of the Gentiles to bless his people. They both welcome Gentiles to be a part of his family. They both give hungry people bread. And people in both stories must bow their knee before him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want to express our trust in you. We want to say, Lord, in our hearts, not just with our mouths, that we believe you are good and that you have a plan. And that we can trust you in spite of not having answers to all the questions we might have, in spite of going through difficult situations. Lord, we see stories of your faithfulness in Scripture. And, and Lord, we've experienced in, in different ways throughout this room stories of your faithfulness as well. And so, Lord, when we cannot see the, the picture that you are weaving, when we don't see the whole picture, the, the story that you're telling, may we trust you in the meantime. May we say, you are faithful, you are good, you have a plan, I can trust you. Give us that patience and that peace where we can wait on you to come through for us. And Lord, when we're in this uncertain or in-between time, we can say that you are good and that you have a plan and we trust you. Lord, you've revealed that in many, many ways, but most fully through Jesus. Lord, this plan woven through scripture, the story that you're telling about your faithfulness and your goodness, and how you you have a rescue plan for all of humanity. Anyone who would come to you could receive the salvation that you offer. And we're thankful for the echoes of that in the Joseph story, but Lord, we're most thankful for the Lord the fulfillment of that through Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who put our trust in you. And I pray for anyone who has yet to do that for the first time, to say, I want you to be a part of my life, God. I want to invite you into my my heart and my life. I pray that even right now, Lord, you'd be welcoming people into your family, whether they're here in the room or watching online. We, we trust you. You are good. You have a plan. So Lord, we love you and I pray that you'd uh, help us to offer you up some of the praise you deserve now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.